Hello, and welcome to the Urban Permaculture Podcast. I'm Heather with Hogs and Hens Urban Farm, and I am so glad that you've joined us today. Um, we've got a few cool things happening. Um, we've got some special guests that are going to be coming up really soon. Um, stay tuned because we're going to be having Emma from Miss Fit Gardening. Um, she's also the host of the Homesteading and Gardening in the Suburbs podcast. And we're also going to be speaking with Harold Thornborough from the Modern Homesteading podcast. And I am super excited to have both of them on the show. Um, we've also got interviews scheduled with a few other folks. Uh, we're going to be talking about raising meat rabbit in the future. We've got an episode coming up about raising squash and a bunch of other fun urban permaculture topics. So we've got some really fun things coming up for you in the very near future. But today's episode, I am super excited about. Today's episode is growing one of the most simple to grow plants there are. Um, it's something that's definitely a staple in most households, and it's a very, very versatile vegetable. So I'm pretty excited to talk all about the wonderful, glorious, spectacular vegetable that is the potato. That's right, the humble potato. Um, so when you're grazing potatoes, there's a few things that you need to, to know, first of all. There are three main characteristics or, or classifications, I guess you could say, of potato types. Um, so you have your starchy varieties, which are good for frying and baking. You have your waxy varieties, which are good for roasting and boiling. And then you have your all-purpose potato that really can be used for any of those things. So your starchy potatoes are going to be things like your russet potatoes, your jewel yams, your Japanese or Hannah sweet potatoes, um, a Kennebec. Those are going to be your starchy potatoes. Your, now your waxy potatoes are going to be things like French fingerlings, red thumbs, red bliss. Those are going to be some of your more waxy potatoes. And your all-purpose, which is kind of what we we really tend to sway ourselves, sway, I guess, swing ourselves into growing the most is the all-purpose potato. So um, there are Yukon Golds, Red Golds, Purple Majesty, uh, Red Norlands, All Blues. Those are going to have um, just the most versatility and flexibility. Uh, do it bear in mind when you are choosing your potato varieties uh, the red potatoes and um, the blue and purple potatoes, so those colored potatoes, they don't tend to store quite as long as some of the more basic varieties like a Yukon Gold. Um, so just bear that in mind um, and, and you know factor that in when you're determining what kind of variety you are going to grow. Now, now that you've decided what kind of potato you would like to grow, you need to figure out how to get your plant. There's a couple of different options in growing potatoes, but the most common way and the only way I personally have ever grown potatoes is from using seed potatoes. So potatoes are unique because you literally can plant the tuber. The part that you eat is exactly what you plant in the ground. Now you can either plant the potato whole if it's already got some eyes or chitting, um, and you can just plant the potato in the ground. But if it's got a lot of eyes, you can also cut the potato into pieces, which is going to give you more potato starts in essence, 
And it's important that you make sure that you let them dry overnight. A full 24 hours is best. That's going to allow the, um, the cut wounds, if you will, to heal. And it's going to help prevent your potato from rotting once you go to plant it. Um, I've been asked a couple of different times, can you plant potatoes that you buy from the grocery store? Well, the answer is I wouldn't. And the main reason for that, unless they're an organic potato, is that most grocery store potatoes are coated in a chemical that's designed to inhibit them from sprouting. I don't know about you, but at our household here at Hogs and Hens Urban Farm, we avoid chemical, um, synthetic chemicals like the plague. So for us, we don't want something that's been treated with chemicals to make it not sprout. Because if I'm going to plant that in the ground, that not sprouting chemical is going to leach into my soil. And is it going to cause that potato to have more effects on the surrounding potatoes? I don't know. But if I can avoid synthetic chemicals in my, you know, garden, we do. So if you have an organic potato that has not been sprayed with the sprout inhibitor, yes, by all means, at that point, you can totally plant them. Um, but what I choose to do typically is I purchase organic non-GMO seed potatoes, um, you can plant them about six to eight weeks before your last frost. Um, be careful with that in the in the sense that they take about two weeks to sprout. Um, so once you plant them, they take about two weeks to sprout out of the ground. If you happen to get a cold snap, what can happen is the leaves that have popped through can get a little damaged by the, the frost and they'll shrivel up and die back a little bit. Now, most of the time, they'll bounce right back and just grow again and keep going. But if they get too cold and have a prolonged cold snap, it can kill them. Um, it, they do require loose soil with really good drainage. That is really, really important. That is honestly one of the most important things to bear in mind when you're growing potatoes is that they have to be well-draining and very loose soil. So if you plant potatoes in, you know, hard clay, which is what we have naturally in our, um, you know, gardens here in Ohio, they're not going to do so well. And the reason for that is when it rains heavy in hard clay, the water doesn't get away so easy. So they end up sitting the potatoes in soggy ground. And as with most things, I mean, think about your fingers. If you've been in a swimming pool or a bathtub too long, you know, they shrivel up. It's because they absorb all that water. And then, you know, the, the cells just expand to a point where they burst. And that's what happens to the potatoes. And it ends up killing them. Um, and they'll end up rotting in the ground. And if you've ever smelled a rotten potato, you know that letting your potatoes rot in the ground is a smelly and terrible thing that you really don't want to happen. So I recommend um, using our lasagna method that we've talked about before, um, which is to put down a layer of cardboard or uh, multiple layers of newspaper. And then you're going to add some soil on top of that. Uh, compost specifically, and a thick layer of mulch on top. That's what we do, and we've had great success with that. Uh, once you get the um, the potatoes all ready to go, you got your soil prepared. Um, remember each I on the potato or each chit on the potato, C-H-I-T, on the potato is going to become one stem. 
Um, so you're going to want to try to make sure those eyes are facing up because the stems are going to be what give you your foliage growth. Your foliage growth is what's going to, um, you know, feed the plant and allow it to grow. So you're going to trench um, a line about four to six inches deep into the ground. I recommend scattering a thin layer of compost in your trench. Um, compost is always a good thing for your garden as long as it is well done. Um, and then you're going to add your potatoes. You're going to make sure your eyes are facing up. You're going to plant them about 12 inches apart with those eyes facing up. And if you're doing lots of rows, you want to space them about 36 inches apart. Um, so remember that the the potatoes or the tubers, which is the part you eat, is called a tuber. Those tubers are growing underground and they're going to take up space underground. Think of the potato plant kind of like an iceberg. So at the very tip of the iceberg is where your green foliage come out, comes out and the leaves and things are going to be. So it's going to, you know, have a plant on the top that lets it grow. And then underneath the ground, when the foliage starts to die back and yellows, it's going to start focusing all of its energy on building that root system, which includes the tubers or the potato, the part you're actually going to eat. Um, so, you know, we want to make sure they have plenty of room to spread out and to create those big tubers. So once you got those potatoes in their trenches and you've got them in a thin layer of compost, you're going to simply cover them with some dirt. You can backfill with the uh, garden hoe to cover them back up very very lightly water it just to kind of let them settle in and then leave them alone um, now you may have heard about hilling potatoes um, or creating hills around your potato plants um, that's it's something that you need to do with potatoes because potato tubers cannot get access to light um, when they get access to light they become toxic and so you want to avoid that you know, at all costs. Now, you don't necessarily have to hill them with dirt, although if you want to hill up a little extra dirt on your plant, it's not a bad thing. But what works really, really well with a potato harvest is to thickly put down organic straw or mulch. Now, we use straw in our household, um, but you just want to make sure that every six inches or so of growth on the stems and the green parts of those potato plants, you want to put another layer of mulch down to make sure that the base of those plants are well covered. Because like I said, they do become toxic. It's really, really dangerous to eat that because it can cause some serious tummy trouble, which we'll talk about soon. Um, but once the once the plants begin to flower, because you're probably wondering, at what point do I harvest these things now? How do I know when to dig them up? They grow under the ground. Well, once they flower, um, they will send up a shoot that's got either a purple or white or a purple and white flower. They're actually really pretty little flowers. That tells you that they are focusing on the tuber growth and no longer focusing on the leaves. At this point, the potatoes are going to have some little tubers that are about fingerling potato size. They're going to be small, and you could harvest them at this point. We like to let them grow into, you know, full maturity. We want a good, big-sized tuber. Um, your foliage, your green, your leaves are going to start yellowing at this stage. It's going to start wilting, uh, falling over, and this is what's referred to as dying back. 
So once they start to die back, um, you're going to leave them alone for a few weeks, and this is going to help build a tougher skin on the outside of your potatoes. Now, by a tougher skin, I don't mean that it's going to make the potato hard to bite into. What I mean is they're going to give you a little bit thicker layer of protection on the outside of the skin, which means your potatoes are going to last much longer for storage. So that's a great thing. Um, when you're ready to harvest, you're just going to kind of pull the straw back a little bit, grab the plant by the stem as close to the soil as possible, and gently rock it and pull the potatoes out of the ground. If your soil is loose, then they'll come right up. If your soil is a little compacted, you may have to dig even more. But you're just going to take a shovel or a hoe or a rake and very gently dig a circle around the base of that potato plant and with your hands kind of feel around in the soil to find the potatoes that may have been left behind. Um, now some things to bear in mind when you're growing these potatoes, um, some companion plants for potatoes are going to be corn, garlic, onions, leeks, chives, shallots, um, so most of the allium family, as you can tell, um, peas and beans, so the legumes are great, uh, leafy greens, basil, because let's face it, basil is a great companion plant for almost everything, and so is thyme. Marigolds are great because they're going to help repel some of your pests, and nasturtium always works as a fantastic trap crop. Petunia is going to put out a bunch of smell that's going to help repel um, unwanted pests too. You do want to avoid turnips and carrots and other root vegetables because they're going to compete for space for those tuber growths and you really don't want to have to have your potatoes fighting for space. You're also going to want to avoid other plants in the nightshade family including kale, broccoli, and cauliflower. Um, I would avoid cucumbers and squash because all of them are very heavy feeders, cucumbers and squash anyway, and they're going to cause some problems with your plant potatoes not having enough nutrients. The kale, broccoli, and cauliflower, you know, most places say that brassicas are a great companion plant for potatoes. Eh, further research for me has learned that they're really not because they require a different soil. Um, they like a mildly acid, potatoes like a mildly acidic soil, and the brassicas tend to like a mildly alkaline soil. So if you're planting them together, either one or the other is unhappy with the amount of, you know, the pH level of the soil. Um, one Now, you know, companion planting is going to help you to avoid a lot of pests in your garden. But unfortunately, one pest that is likely to still persist is the potato beetle. It is probably the number one predator of the potato aside from poor draining soil, which leads to rot. And the potato beetle is really easy to spot. Um, it is sized and, and similar in appearance to the, the ladybug except for it is a black and yellow bug um, and it's got a shiny you know outer body it it is a beetle they oftentimes overwinter underground and then they will emerge in late april to early may um, they do not migrate but they will fly miles to find food so they can come from anywhere even if you didn't have them last year if neighbors a few miles away had them, they could easily fly to your garden looking for your potatoes. They lay their eggs on the bottom of leaves um, for up to a month. And then each female can lay up to 500 eggs per plant. 
They will hatch in about between 4 and 15 days, depending on the weather. And you'll know that they're potato beetle larvae because they are bright brick red and they have a weird shaped, um, like a humped back. They go through four different growth stages, um, also known as instar stages. And when they get to stage four, they stop eating for about a week. They're going to drop to the ground and they're going to burrow seven to eight inches down into the soil. So once they get dug down in five to ten days, they're going to emerge as adults, start the cycle all over again or overwinter if it is late in the season. They will eat any nightshade. So even though they are known as a potato beetle, please be aware of the fact that they will also eat your carrots and tomatoes and peppers, your eggplants, and any member of the nightshade family. So it is important to make sure you're practicing good crop rotation to prevent them from being a problem because if they if you plant potatoes in a bed this year next year you plant carrots in it and then you plant tomatoes in it and then you plant peppers in it while you have rotated what crop is in there they're all members of the nightshade family and those potato beetles are just going to chow down it's very common to find potato beetles, and the good news is they're pretty easy to get rid of once you know you've got them. Um, the easiest way is hand-picking, so you're going to want to wear gloves because they do have a chemical that they can emit that's very irritating to the skin. Um, so wear some garden gloves or even some latex or rubber gloves, pick them off, and put them in a bucket of hot soapy water. It'll drown them, and they will be gone. Um, the problem with this method is you have to do it very frequently because it's, you know, you're picking them off by hand. So as they hatch and emerge, you're having to capture them. So that's frustrating because you're primarily going to be eating the adults and the bigger sized instars or the, the caterpillars. Um, another option is uh, BTK, which is um, Bacillus thuringinosis or thuringinosis I can't pronounce it but BTK <laughs> it is a natural soil bacteria that is toxic to caterpillars it takes a few days because it works through their gut um, so it is a bacteria that ends up in their digestive tract and it will slowly kill them beware that this is uh, bacteria that's toxic to pretty much all caterpillars. So again, it's one of those when you're adding an insecticide of any sort, organic or not, natural or not, you do run the risk of hurting beneficial insects. So bear that in mind. Neem oil, same thing. It's Be careful because it will kill other bugs too, but it will kill them. Um, dish soap, one to two tablespoons to one gallon of water, but you do have to pretty much direct hit the bugs. So it's not something that you can just spray and coat your leaves with and it'll take care of them. In order for the, the dish soap mix to work, you do have to directly spray the actual insects. So if you don't get the bug, you're just giving your plants a bath. Um, diatomaceous earth is another option. We've used that um, in the past for some other things. But it is important to get food grade because the garden grade diatomaceous earth oftentimes has other chemicals in it 
that are designed for insecticidal purposes. Now, for us, again, we use organic farming practices. We don't want those other chemicals. We just want the dust from the diatomaceous earth. Now, diatomaceous earth is powderized. Um, it's actually like crystals of some sea critters that are almost like tiny shards of glass. And you sprinkle it on your plants and around your plants, and it will slice up the underbellies of these these critters, these bugs, and they will dehydrate and die. Um, also, they will avoid it if they see it or um, encounter it a lot of times, so it's also a good deterrent. But again, it is broad spectrum, and it can harm good bugs too. So you want to be careful with that. Another great option is floating row covers and insect netting. However, that will not prevent the ones who have overwintered underground because they will just simply emerge from the ground, crawl up your potatoes, and start their life cycle, and you've just got them buried in a nice little tent, so they're going to be protected from any predators. Um, the row covers and insect netting only prevents these later... Um, later in their life cycles. So when they're flying around looking for food, if you don't already have them, it can help prevent them. But if you've already had them and that life cycle has started at all, it's not really gonna do much of anything. The most important thing you can do, um, and I've said it once and I'll say it again, is rotate your crops. Make sure that if you've planted anything in the nightshade family before in that bed, you do not plant it again for at least three to four years, four being the best. So now you've got your harvest. So you've harvested and you've got 100 pounds of potatoes that you've dug out of your soil. What do you do with them? Well, the best storage is a dark, humid, 45 degree or slightly above location. You want your potatoes to be dry, but don't wash them. Leave a little bit of dirt on the outside. Just brush off the excessive dirt once it's dried with like a paintbrush or even just kind of lightly with your hand. You want to lay them in a single layer, that's the best, with good ventilation and lay them in a box with some holes. Um, you could put some shredded paper in there to help keep them dry. You can add layers of newspaper. Basically, you don't want the potatoes to touch and you want to keep a humid atmosphere, but you want to keep the potatoes themselves dry. If they sit in any kind of moisture at all, they're going to rot. And like I said, if you've ever smelled a rotting potato, you know that that is a vile, disgusting smell that you want to avoid at all costs. Um, some other things you can do with potatoes, you can shred them up and freeze them. Um, now, I like to blanch them really quickly before I do that. Um, so to blanch the potatoes, so I will peel them and then I will put them for about 20 to 30 seconds in a pot of boiling water. Um, this just gives a quick blanch from the outside of the skin that makes sure that any kind of germies or bacteria that were on the outside is, um, is quickly flash killed. And it just makes the potatoes shred easier, in my opinion. I personally have um, a Presto salad shooter that I use. And I will cut my potatoes into chunks that will fit through the, the hopper. And I will just throw them through and they shred my potatoes. You could also use a food processor or even a box grater. 
Um, I, like I said, I personally used my Presto salad shooter. My mom had one as a kid. I watched her using that. I grew up wanting one and I'm not even positive they make them anymore. I haven't actually seen them in the stores in quite a while, but I went to an estate sale and they happened to have a brand new one in the box that they were auctioning off. And so I got that and I use it quite frequently with my preserving of, um, vegetables. But I'll go ahead and get them all done. Um, I just put them into a big, huge bowl. I actually have an enormous Tupperware that was my grandmother's that uh, will hold tons of these shredded potatoes. And then what I like to do is lay them out thin on a cookie sheet. And I will put layers of uh, parchment paper or wax paper in between thin layers of these shredded potatoes. And then I will flash freeze them on those trays. Now what that does is it allows me to take them off that tray and crumble them up into my Ziploc bags or my freezer bags, um, vacuum seal bags, I should say. And it keeps them nice and crumbly. If I put them all directly into the, the bag before flash freezing them on a flat tray, what I found is they freeze in a giant clump. And they're just very hard to work with once you thaw them. So I found by laying them out on a thin tray, um, and this is the, that's that's truly a case with most of my produce. I do the same thing with my shredded uh, zucchini. I will lay it out in thin layers on uh, trays with wax paper or parchment paper in between to let it dry um, and to flash freeze because um, I shred my zucchini to use for things like zucchini bread or to mix into pasta sauces or quite a few different things. Um, so you're going to hear me talk about that often as I talk about different vegetables. You can also slice and freeze potatoes. Um, now, this is one where I definitely recommend you blanch them first. Um, you're going to run them through. Again, I use a uh, box grater for this one um, or my mandolin. And I will thinly slice them to use as sliced home fried potatoes. And I will once again put those in a thin layer to freeze and then I will put them in my vacuum seal containers, vacuum seal them and freeze them with a date on them. That allows me to have them later to use for hash fry, or I'm sorry, home fried potatoes. Or I can take them and throw them in the deep fryer and I can make some homemade crunchy potato chips. Because they're a little bit thicker, because I have my mandolin set to a slightly thicker um slightly thicker setting, I can grow get some nice thick like kettle cooked chips, which are yummy. You can also um, can potatoes. Now, I definitely recommend that you peel them. Um, in fact, I'm not going to go over all of the details for canning because there's a lot of intricities when, when using any canning recipe and things can vary based on your elevation and a lot of different things. So I definitely recommend looking up um, recipes for safely canning potatoes. They do need to be pressure canned. And you do have to be careful when canning potatoes because of their high starch content. Um, if you're not careful, um, you can end up with a lot of, of problems with that. So make sure you follow, you know, your guidelines. I, I recommend the, um, the ball website. Um, we use a lot of ball mason jars. Um, they have a whole website that is dedicated to um, teaching you how to do that. You can also talk to your local extension office if you're in the U.S. Um, and they will oftentimes give you information. The USDA has an entire guideline that's available online as well that is um, a whole bunch of different 
uh, tips and tricks and procedures and recommendations for canning. So that's good to know. Um, it's important when you are storing your potatoes to know that um, they, they will store pretty well as long as they are not sprouted. So if you've got potatoes that you've let sit too long and they've gotten eyes or have begun chitting is what it's called, C-H-I-T-T-I-N-G, chitting, um, they will not store well because those plants are already trying to grow. If they've got green spots on them, that is toxic. You do not want to store those. Um, so it's got the solanine on it, which is an alkaline substance uh, we talked about before. It causes nausea and it can really cause you a lot of stomach pain. It's just not worth it. If you've got a potato, it's gotten some sunshine to it and it's got a green spot on it cut the green spot off, or in my case, honestly, I just put them in the compost bin. Um, if you have rotten potatoes or potatoes that have any rotten spots on them, it will cause the others to rot. It's going to off-gas and create a chemical in the air that's going to trigger the other plants around it to rot. So you do not want that to happen. So if you have potatoes that are you know, starting to get a little mushy, those are not going to be good to be uh, stored. And also when you're harvesting your potatoes and before you're putting them away using any of these methods, double check to see if they've got any bite marks out of them. Um, you're going to be checking them because a lot of time moles and voles will nibble on them and you can just cut out the little bite marks if they do have some little nibble marks in it, but it does indicate that you need to get some treatment in place for moles and voles. We'll do a pest um, episode at a later time talking more about what to do about moles and voles. For now, I would recommend um, you know doing some research on how to get rid of them. But they can be a problem in your garden because they will tear up all kinds of things. Um, you know, I was talking about the different methods of storing potatoes and <laughs> looking at my notes, I totally forgot about one of the fun ways to store them and that is to dehydrate them. Um, now that's going to be important. You're going to want to, um, again, blanch them real quick just to, to make sure that there are no uh, germs on the outside of them and you're going to want to dice them up or slice them up, etc. I personally will throw a very thin um, or a very diluted amount of vinegar in some water and toss my potatoes in that before I throw them on my dehydrator, um, much like you would do with lemon juice and apples or vinegar and apples. It helps prevent them from browning. In potatoes' case, they tend to turn like black. And even though they're perfectly healthy, they don't look very appetizing. So it's something you can do to prevent that. But you'll just scatter them out on your trays in your food dehydrator and turn it on and make sure that they are very, very thoroughly dry. You want them to be absolutely crunchy and crispy to the point where they nearly turn to powder when you smush them. You don't want any trace of moisture. And what's great about potatoes, um, later on when you go to use them, like say you want to make some hash browns, all you got to do is open up some of your dried shredded potatoes, throw some water in there let them sit overnight, they will perfectly rehydrate and be delicious and look like you just shredded them up fresh. And the nice thing about it is you know what's in those potatoes. You know what kind of chemicals were not used on those potatoes. And so now you've got a healthy, nutritious, real food meal that's ready to roll. So that's what I have for you for today. Um, you know, you're learning all about potatoes. 
We're going to be talking with Emma really soon about squash. So you're going to have an in-depth episode about that. And my goal is for us once or twice a month, I plan on highlighting a specific plant or animal and focusing on that particular one for the month. Um, so this month obviously was potatoes because here in zone 6A, we're in Dayton and it is potato season. Um, so we've got all of our potatoes there in our official uh, last frost date for us is April 25th, although historically I have always personally waited another week or so because we have had some freak weather things here where we've suddenly got frost. And while I would love to be able to just dart off and throw my frost covers on my plants, we travel for um, our main occupation. And so if I like currently I am in the middle of Missouri. I'm actually in St. Robert, Missouri visiting and I'm on my way to Altus, Oklahoma. So if it were to get, you know, frosty and cold out right now, I can't just run out to my garden and cover them. And so I need to make sure I'm very aware of my frost dates and, um, so that's very important. I thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you have not yet already checked out our website, it's www.hogsandhensdayton.com. We do have a Facebook page you can check out, Hogs and Hens Urban Farm. And obviously, we would love it if you could leave us some feedback on our podcast. If you give us a five-star rating on any of your podcasting platforms and give us a follow, it does help us to expand our reach. And we would be so very much appreciative. Thank you so very much. If you are interested in being a guest on the Urban Permaculture Podcast, please reach out to us at hogsandhensurbanfarm at gmail.com and we can chat and see if I think you'd be a great fit for the show. Thanks for tuning in. I hope your garden is growing beautifully and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.